Good morning. Uh, maybe you're watching this later. Good afternoon. Good evening. Wherever you are and however you found this and however you found us, we want to say uh, thanks for joining us. Welcome. Uh, welcome, I suppose, to Covenant Church, but really uh, welcome into uh, a time of worship and hopefully some inspiration and encouragement as we work through uh, the situation we're in. Coronavirus is a thing and um, while you are not here with us, we still want to be here for you. And so uh, the way that we have to do that is uh, we have a way you can text in. So let's say you are there and you would like some prayer or you need uh, something. Uh, Robert, can you throw that up there? We, you can test, text COVENANT to 97000. If you want to connect with us, if you need support, help during this time, if you just want someone to uh, reach out, uh, maybe you have some questions or you just need someone to pray with you. We would love for uh, the opportunity to connect with you and do that. And so, again, you text the word COVENANT to 97000 and we will do that with you. The other uh, kind of logistical thing to get out of the way is while we usually would say there's three ways to give here at Covenant, uh, today there are not three ways to give because you cannot give here in person, but you can uh, give online. And so our uh, our ask of you, if you're an in-person giver, you're a regular part of our, our local body, uh, just consider giving uh, online, shifting your giving that way, and that'll help us uh, stay on track and help you stay on track as well. So I wanted to give you that opportunity and make sure that was uh, clear. So as we get started, uh, I just wanted to say thank you. Uh, this is something that is uh, a little different, but hopefully something we're going to get used to because it's going to be a couple weeks. And while we've often say around here that we're a church of the 167, that we spend an hour together in church, but really what we care about is that 167 out in the world, uh, we have all of a sudden become a church of the 168. So you got another hour uh, to go out there and live out the mission. So what we're doing is we're praying that all of this, uh, all this we're doing is working uh, to flatten the curve to keep our most vulnerable people safe. And that's ultimately what this is about. Uh, I love our people. Uh, we love this city. And if all of the effort to do this, all the effort to uh, sit at home and social distance, if all of this effort saves just one person, keeps one uh, person from having a funeral instead of a celebration in the next few weeks, then we're all in. Because these are all just numbers. Oh, well, there's only this many people infected. There's only this many people that have died. It's all just numbers until it's personal. And so we get that and we value the person here. And so that's why we're doing this. Jesus said that true love was this, that we lay down our lives for each other, that we would be inconvenienced and financially pained and socially strained for one person, for that one person in the nursing home down the street, for the one immunosuppressed child, for the elder recovering from a heart attack, or even for your one-lunged pastor. We're doing it for the one. And so I'm proud of our community, our friends, our elders, uh, the whole response of people all over the country that are laying it down, that are ignoring the 99 to uh, sacrificially stand with the one person who might be puffing on that inhaler wondering how this is all going to end. Our message is that we've got you and we've got this together. As long as it takes, this is how we'll do this and we're here for you. Again, you could text the word covenant to 97000 if we can help in any way at all. Because we remember that the mission of Jesus doesn't have a home address, and God's church was never a building. So, for the next few weeks, this is how we're going to do this. We're going to make this happen, so our invitation to you as we get started with our message is to refill your coffee, share this video with anybody uh, that you think might need to be listening in, and uh, maybe even drop a comment, where are you watching from? Because what we know to be true is that God doesn't waste any moment. And what's super interesting is that we're in this kind of global thing together, and it's this sort of global fear and a, a bit of a, an anxiety moment for us. And so nothing could be more comforting 
than uh, to scroll down the comments of a little church from a frozen swamp in northwest Ohio and see that the global anxiety can be met by the global kingdom of God showing up, being together, and tackling this as we go. So, I've said that the mission of Jesus doesn't have a home address and that God's church was never a building. This is where we're kind of rooting ourselves in the weeks to come. We don't know where this is going, but we know one thing to be true. The mission was never tied to an address. The, the church of God was never about what building we meet in, what city, what place. And so today what we're going to talk about is what that means in light of where we are with a pandemic. So whether you are afraid and anxious, or you're starting to get resentful of all of the panic and the media, here's the reminder. We serve a victorious king and a sovereign God who's not surprised by any of this. Every trial works towards its glory. Every battle fits into a war he's already won. And the reminder is that we can lift our eyes to the heavens. We can do our best to focus on the goodness of grace. We can rejoice and be glad you're going to hear that a couple times today. Because we have been redeemed and repurposed. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. And we're going to do so by looking at Paul's letter to the Philippians. And the context here is that Paul has been imprisoned. He's been imprisoned and so he's stuck we would say that Paul is practicing involuntary social distancing. He doesn't really have a choice, but here he is. He can't watch March Madness, which in his day was a couple of drunk Roman soldiers chasing around a berserk sheep. Um, He can't do that. There's no uh, diversion. There's no distraction. It's simply Paul with his thoughts. We can't know exactly how he felt, but we can guess. We can guess that there's frustration in being detained. What do you mean I can't leave the house? that there's fear of what this actually means, how long is this going to last, that maybe there's even a defeatism in feeling powerless and out of control and able to change the circumstances, that thing that leads us to wonder if we should just crawl into the basement and wait this whole thing out. So the better question, instead of how does Paul feel about his imprisonment, is what did Paul do? When we look at the letters that Paul wrote from prison, the question is what did he do? And so what we're going to do is look at some of the excerpts from this letter to the Philippians. And so after he tells the the church at Philippi, he tells them a little bit about his imprisonment. He tells them about his love. He says this in starting in verse 12 of chapter one. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. See, what Paul is saying is that his imprisonment is actually something that he's chosen to leverage to share the love of God. His imprisonment is something he's chosen to use to share the gospel, to share grace, to share goodness, so much so that even the prison guards are beginning to get it. He says, what's happened to me is served to advance the gospel. I don't know where you're watching from or how you're feeling in this season. But I would tell you, one of the first thoughts I had when when we started making plans around this whole epidemic, when we started making coronavirus plans and preparations, thinking that we may have to do this online, one of the first things we started saying around here was that maybe we can leverage this. Maybe we can leverage this whole situation to get the gospel into more hearts And for those of us who already believe it, to get the gospel into more hands that we might actually live it. 
So we begin to ask the question, what does it look like to leverage this moment to share Jesus's love with someone? That's the question you have to be asking right now. Not how do I feel, although that matters and it's valid. The real question that that Paul is imploring us to ask of ourselves, of our families, of our communities, of our of our friends is how are we going to leverage this? Because I cannot control the circumstance, but I can absolutely control my response. Paul takes lemons and makes lemonade. And I think we can do the same. He continues in verse 27. He says, whatever happens as we go about this making of the lemonade, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Paul says, stand firm. Not frightened by opposition, but firm. And I've heard some people making this juxtaposition between faith and fear in recent days. That if we have faith, we can't fear. If we have fear, then that must not be faith. If we don't allow people in the church on Sunday morning, we're operating in fear and not in faith. And I would throw that out. Faith is not the absence of fear, no matter what you've heard. Jesus in Gethsemane, I would challenge you to turn your Bible to Jesus in the garden, moments before his arrest, the day before his crucifixion, as Jesus asked the Father to take the cup from him as he's sweating blood out of anxiety and fear of what's to come. Jesus wasn't faithless in the moment that fear is a real thing and and we can acknowledge that and live in faith. And so what Paul says is stand firm and don't be frightened by your opposition. No matter what your circumstance, don't be frightened by your opposition. Simply stand firm in the faith that you already follow a conquering victor. Leave behind what others think. Begin to walk like Jesus, to share God's love without fear. We carry the spirit of God with us. And so Paul says, conduct yourself worthy of the gospel. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, worthy of the good news of Jesus. Which means this, what is the good news of Jesus? Jesus came to live on earth. He lived a sinless life. He was blessing people, healing people, and yet he was crucified for crimes he never committed. And this didn't surprise him. And he came for us. He gave his life for us. Jesus took on a cross and suffering for us. He died and then was resurrected. He rose for us to restore life. That's the life he offers us in our belief in him. We live in his resurrection. And this resurrection life is beyond fear of death and sin and shame because he's already defeated it. We're called to live worthy of that, is what Paul is saying. Paul says, you're called to live a life worthy of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. That's the good news of Jesus. That if we place our faith in him, we surrender to him, we trust in him, then we can escape those momentary fears. We can escape the momentary persecution. We can escape the momentary opposition and walk away from being frightened in those things And we can stand firm in the things we know to be true, which is that God is not going to waste this moment. We're called to live a life worthy of that. What does that mean? 
For you and I, that means sacrifice. Might even mean suffering. So that others might know hope and truth and grace and goodness and healing. And as Paul says in verse 14 of this beautiful passage, starting in chapter 2, we pick it up in verse 14. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ, I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. Rejoice. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul says, live with joy. Even as Paul is giving his life, as he's sitting in prison for his faith, even as he suffers and serves, he's rejoicing. We're living in an age that for half a minute there was looking pretty unified. Coming together, getting the facts. And it's starting to splinter a little bit at the edges. And grumbling and arguing are seeping in. What would it look like to wake up every day during this new coronavirus life? And instead of checking to see who's saying something silly or who disagrees with where we sit, What if we woke up every day and we said, Lord, you created me for joy and joy is mine to spread. What if that was our our morning wake up prayer? Lord, you created me for joy and joy is mine to spread. What if in a world of panic and tumbling stocks and bad news and hassle and stress, what if we choose joy? How about this? What if in every instance of anxiety, we hold that thought captive? It doesn't mean we don't feel it. We just hold it. And we choose in that moment to respond with joy. What if every ounce of resentment that we start to feel, we hold that captive and we said, instead, I'm going to respond with joy. Next time you want to rant, arguing with the wind. Instead, I would challenge you to do something to cultivate joy, to share love, and to encourage someone else. What does that look like? Maybe instead of grumbling and arguing, we're going to find creative ways to bless the ICU staff of our local hospital. Or maybe we're going to find a creative way to be a blessing to the nurses in the nursing home who are caring for our most vulnerable Maybe we're going to find ways to pitch in and help the kids who need meals when they're out of school or the parents who need childcare so they can still get to work and provide. That's what choosing joy looks like in this situation, choosing it and choosing to spread it. And it doesn't mean we won't have discussions and it doesn't mean we won't be tussling over what to do and how to do it, but it does mean that what we're going to do first and foremost when we wake up, the first thing on our minds when we look at the world around us is we're not going to ask Necessarily, how do I feel, but how do I spread the joy of Christ in a time where people are not feeling it? I was wondering if our community group, I was going to text them last night. I was thinking there's this local place that delivers cookies, and they'll write anything you want. They do it in like a white pizza box, and they'll write anything you want on the top of it. I said, what if every community group picked a different hospital or nursing home, 
And just for those people who don't have the choice to socially distance, that are still on the front lines, that are still dealing with uh, making sure they use sanitizer and they have their gloves and their mouth, what if the people who are, are out there doing the work received a dozen cookies with a note on it that says, we see you and we're grateful? It's not hard. But it's our choice to spread joy to them instead of engaging the opposition. We're not going to play defense. We're going to play offense because we've already won. We're going to use every innovation we can to be a beacon of light in dark times. Paul says you will shine like stars in the sky. In darkness, stars shine brighter. Get out of the city lights. You look up at the sky and it only gets brighter. People, if we use this opportunity to shine brighter, to lean in closer, to spread joy more intentionally, to share the gospel with those who are living in a state of fear, this is when the stars shine brightest. And this virtuous cycle of choosing joy leads to sharing joy, leads to greater joy, which leads to a new person choosing joy and sharing joy and greater joy. And this virtuous cycle is something that we can actually start. And man, Paul is big on this joy as he writes to the church. It says in chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Rejoice, have joy, take joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, have joy, take joy, spread joy. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Look, his words speak for themselves. When I say you take that thought captive and you choose joy, instead we go, I don't know how to get there. Because we're all in different spots and we're all in different seasons. We all bring different baggage to the, to the party. Maybe you go, man, that's a great idea, but I don't know how to flush what I'm feeling in order to choose joy. Paul lays out how we do it. First, we pray, God, Remove the things that are holding me back. Reduce the anxiety and replace it with something greater. And it says he will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus that we will maybe all at once and maybe just slowly we'll begin to feel the security that we have in him again. And he says this, whatever's noble and true and good and right and lovely and admirable, how do I replace those thoughts? That anger, the fear, the resentment, how do I replace those We focus instead on what's good. We focus instead on grace. We focus instead on what's pure and admirable and holy. And he says, when we focus on those things, when we 
decide to sit down and sing a worship song, when we decide to open the pages of of the, the gospel and read the good news that Jesus has risen, when we decide, when we make a choice, it begins to shift in us. And then he says, whatever you've learned or received from me, whatever you've seen me do, you do. Put it into practice. Can I tell you what I think we've learned from Paul? You zoom out from this letter a little bit, not the specific words, but just zoom out. Why is there a letter from Paul to the Philippians? Because Paul was imprisoned. And Paul decided to use his imprisonment to encourage the church. He decided to write a letter. How simple and how profound. More than anything else, how completely doable for every single one of us, no matter where you sit, no matter what you're into, no matter what you're doing, no matter how you feel. What I know to be true is that you are on a device, a communication device, if you're even watching this, because there's no other way to see it. And the challenge would be that we might become like Paul He says, whatever you have seen me do, put it into practice. This is the challenge. We're going to put it into practice. Because nothing means so much to somebody as when someone else reaches out just to check in. I remember when I had surgery in St. Louis. I was 19 years old. I was in Barnes Jewish Hospital in St. Louis. Long story short, it was part of a lung transplant for my sister. And so I'd given part of my uh, left lung and the nurses were great, and the doctors were great, and they moved me into my own private room, which I was super happy about because the roommate I had to start with was uh, not all that pleasant. So they gave me my own private room. I was thrilled, and I was lonely. And as the days went on, I got lonelier. My father had had the same surgery. My little sister's fighting for her life. And so rightly, all of the attention is going somewhere else. And I sat in this room. I felt detained. They later told me that I had the longest post-operative recovery from my surgery of anybody they'd ever known. That I'd set the record. 14 days in a bed with a single window overlooking a park in the St. Louis winter. And I remember the things that most humbled me. Kind of the most meaningful moments of that hospital stay for me. And I remember the faces and the names. It's the people who came and visited. We're pre-internet, pre-cell phones, so no one's texting me. But man, some people showed up. They brought silly little gifts. Someone snuck into the nurse's closet and stole chocolate milk and graham crackers and just put them on my bed. And I went, hey, that's kind of cool. Little things. In my detainment, in my loneliness, in my social distance, somebody showed up and said, you're not alone. And as I tell that story, my question for you is, who are you thinking of right now that might be in that spot? Who do you know that's at home feeling lonely? Who do you know that's a little bit worried or fearful? Who do you know that you might be able to reach out to? To check in on, to check up on, to pour into? Whether by text or email or postcard or carrier pigeon, whether you have to stand outside of their front door and just talk through the door to them, whatever. 
Starting today, my challenge for every person in our local church, but maybe if you're watching this, you can take this challenge on too. Every day, our challenge is to encourage someone else. Every day, every one of us reaching out to someone. Every single day, we will each say, God, who is it today? And then figure out what that means. What does that look like? What does it look like to spread joy and encouragement? What does it look like to spread hope and grace? And when that pinch of anxiety comes back or when that that fluttering of resentment starts to creep in, that we lean back to this and we go, nope, that's just an invitation to reach out again. That's just an invitation to check on someone else. It's an invitation to make a difference. Paul wrote letters. We can send a text, we can FaceTime, we can Skype, we can tweet, we can snap, we can woof. We can leverage our situation to share goodness and grace and hope and healing and love. We can stand firm, not frightened by the opposition. We can choose joy and look for ways to sacrificially serve others. We, the church, the people who call themselves followers and believers of Jesus, we can shine like stars in the night sky, creatively using this specific God-ordained moment in history to be a light in the midst of someone's darkness. I said when we were getting started that we're doing this for the one. But for a lot of people, social distance doesn't really matter. You weren't going to get sick anyway. You weren't going to show symptoms. It wasn't going to hurt. But for the one, we're willing to do whatever it takes, whatever sacrifice it takes, whatever outlay of resources and time, whatever it takes, we're going to do that. And that's what this whole plan is. It's thinking of the one every single day. Who's the one? Who's the someone that needs a little bit of light today? These are unprecedented times, but we have a precedent in Jesus of how to live. He models it every single day. Eyes up. On the lookout, who can I serve sacrificially? How can I live selflessly? How can I serve? How can I love? Because church, we are still on mission. Whether we gather together in a physical structure or not, we were made for moments like this. Say it one more time. The mission of Jesus doesn't have a home address. And God's church was never in a building. We have joy like Paul of carrying out a mission wherever we are and whatever our circumstance, chasing light and love and offering it to the world around us. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, it is mind-blowing to think of the way that you have already united us, that we are your church spread out in homes across nations across the world. That whether we watch together or alone, whether we gather and sing in a group or by ourselves, Lord, we are your people, we are your bride. Father, I pray that you would give us great courage, that you would give us the hope deep inside of our souls, the peace and protection that goes with our days, that we might go on the offensive. That, Lord, when we feel anxiety, we would reach out. When we feel resentment, we would reach out. Lord, let us be the conduits of your joy and your goodness and your grace in the days to come. Whatever the circumstance, wherever this road leads, 
Father, find us living like Jesus for all to see. We pray in his name. Amen.